out the way. He's eating ass. Over. No, no, please. No. That's how I say hi. Remember when it was really big? Just only to mainstream people. Yeah. It's always been like one of my few menu options. Everyone was talking about eating ass from Everyone's like from whack. 2015 to 2017. Late comers. Me, Brian Ganoa. And me, Jerome. I waved, but you couldn't hear that. Oh, yeah. I feel weird that you didn't say your last name. <laughs> oh, uh, Jerome Charles. Address, uh, social security number. Of the uh, illustrious Haitian Charles family. Oh. I guess we're all related if we share the last name. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. How many Ganoas are there? Too many to count. Okay. It's a very common surname on the boot. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, the boot. Yeah. I forget your the boot. place. Yeah. Yeah, There's cool. actually a Ganella Bakery in Chicago. Mm. It's like pretty well known, I think. Okay. They like make, make bread that we can buy in the supermarket and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. We love, love to see that. Yeah, I guess so. So. So, what's going on with you, man? What's going on in the world? What did we just do today? You know <laughs> that I don't know exactly what's happening in the world. Yeah. Uh, I do know... That we marched on the mayor's house today. We went to yell at the mayor. My God. And did he show up? No. Like a groundhog? I don't even think he was there, bro. He probably wasn't there. I think he there. was like hiding out in some hotel. For? Just had the cops babysit his porch. Absolutely. Yeah. But for those who don't know, the mayor of uh, the city in which Jerome and I reside is a man named Bill Peduto. Boo. And he fucking sucks. Um, so the reason why we all went to his house today was to... Tell him in plain English how we feel about a bike marshal. Um, who are you know, these fine anarchist individuals that ride around on their bikes and keep protesters safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, got snatched up a la uh, secret police style um, at the last Civil Saturdays march in an unmarked van. After they were, he was like lured away from the rest of the bunch by a plainclothes officer asking for directions. Um, Whoa, I didn't know that was the full story. Oh, yeah. And it was like, you know, these situations like we've seen in Portland, New York, and all that kind of shit, they're fucking scary. Like, strangers. Like, they don't identify themselves. Mm. They just grip you up. They have, and some of them have guns, and then they, you know, toss into a van and drive off. No explanation, no nothing. Mm -hmm. So this kid got out, and, uh, you know, he said it was like, I think they they arrested him for. Something like failure to disperse. Not yeah, not even that. It was like about obstructing traffic sure. or something. Mm-hmm. Like even back at maybe like a couple actions ago, like weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, what we've seen this shit do in in um, like Portland and stuff is this. It's these sort of like catch and release, sort of like intelligence gathering things, mm. where they're like, "Who are you? Like, wh- you know, what order are you with? Like, uh, what are you doing here? Like, blah blah blah." Mm. And that's usually done by DHS, which is like. Uh, one of the big hot button issues is because like local mayors in these towns have to contend with these like federal agents working for the Department of Homeland Security coming in and doing these like strong arm terror tactics against protesters. Yeah. Uh, usually without the mayor's permission. But in Pittsburgh, because we're a fucking special little city, 
Uh, it wasn't DHS doing this. It was the Pittsburgh police. And it's interesting. Like, I feel like even on the last episode I asked you, I was just like, oh, like when the mayor says like, we won't have this in our city, does he actually have any power? And you were just like, uh, against DHS? No, but like, this is Pittsburgh oh. city police. Yeah, it, it is the one organization that he does have power over and, mm. uh, he just sort of like let it happen. Uh, and in typical Bill Peduto fashion, everybody called him on it. And at first he released a statement saying, uh, like, oh, I think constitutional rights are important but like blocking a street is a privilege mm-hmm. and blah 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 and then uh had a press conference where him and the police the chief of police more or less said like protest the way we want you to or we're going to stop you from protesting like you know telling these organizers that they had to clear like the routes uh with the police beforehand and like work with the police beforehand and yeah. just like counterintuitive to a protest against uh you know otherwise it's the just police a, well well i don't know we keep calling them peace marches so if <laughs> that's what we're going to call them and not a protest then they will say like yes then you can peace march down this place yeah sure i mean like the idea that they need to know our route in advance or like there can't be some level of like spontaneity or this is the fact that we have to talk to them in general is mm. like no you don't have to do that and like the idea that they will physically prohibit us from demonstrating if mm-hmm. we don't do that is where it's fucked up. So Bill Peduto then said that he saw the video and was quote unquote livid mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. uh, and promised to do something, which really in you know Bill Peduto's language just means he's going to wait until attention dies down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then just tweet like, in the days when stuff goes wrong yeah. and I look at his Twitter, like... The shit that he tweets afterwards is yeah. just it, every time I'm just like, yo, you can't talk about anything else right now. Bro, Don't like, talk about a fuck ass other thing about how Pittsburgh's the least most livable city. Right. The most this. Don't tweet none of that shit when like the whole fucking country's looking at you, or at least the whole city. The whole city, yeah. It's just like, yo, fucking give us some answers. And you're just like, retweet. Yeah, yeah. And like, contradictory statements and just like more like platitudes and just like nothing, committing to nothing. I think this morning he was retweeting about how Pittsburgh like signed some commitment to like uh free housing or something like that or affordable house i don't know some sort of like progressive gesture mm. that like i mean you know uh, i don't think we have any reason to expect that he's going to deliver on mm-hmm. any of these things like this has been his entire mo his entire mayoral career is he just does a little uh you know does a little placating towards his uh quote-unquote like progressive base so he gets to like get invited to all the cool mayor stuff you know go to israel kiss the wailing wall whatever uh and uh um, who was mayor before him wasn't the baby Old yeah baby? yeah ravenstall who was just kind of he was just like an incompetent sort of like crook hmm. which in a lot of ways was more tolerable than bill, <laughs> than bill peduto because he bill peduto is this fucking lying shill hmm. who just like just postures to be this like progressive sort of like uh, thinking mayor that's like mm, I'm the mayor of one of the most livable cities in the entire world like let's get the tech industry to invest here like the Pittsburgh's so great blah 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 uh, and then you know people launch like legitimate criticisms at him and he just like either deflects or uh, you know completely just fucking like passes the buck I mean I, I still remember when uh, Antoine Rose got shot oh, and the first fucking thing he did Scrambling to his just, Twitter account. Just fucking, like, uh, absolving himself yep. of any kind of accountability. It's not Pittsburgh. It's not Pittsburgh. It's East Pittsburgh. Please make that distinction. Blah, blah, oh, blah. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. So this dude is just... He sucks, man. And, like, I really hope someone primaries him. And today, uh, a bunch of organizers... Me. 
yeah, Jerome is going to primary. We, we, Brian and I have spoke about this in private. We were going to wait until like a couple episodes down the line to announce oh, it, but I sorry. guess Jerome just spilled the bag. So vote right. Chew 2021. Hey, <laughs> I like this. Yeah, that's it. This is, this is the whole point of the podcast, actually, is to launch Chew's mayoral career. And honestly, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to be a puppet like everybody else is, but I'm going to surround myself with the right people so that they can yeah. pull my strings, yeah, obviously. Yeah, pull them in the right way. And see, and so like that's the thing. So we went to Bill Peduto's house to yell at him. Yeah. And, you know, if he was there, maybe, you know, he had to turn his TV up a little louder, put on his My his, gosh. his Beats headphones and listen to whatever the fuck he listens to to uh-huh. relax. But odds are he went in there. And odds are this is not going to cause any kind of, like, you know, loss of sleep for him. You remember that, um, the little baby mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Frey? I mean, no, but well, anybody he, you call little baby is he, also Oh, yeah, laughing. he's like this little baby-faced guy. I don't know how old he is. He's pretty young, though. But he went, he at least had the balls to go out to the protesters, uh, where they asked him. Well, they, they stormed his house? No, no, well, they might have been in front of, like, the his office, maybe. I forget where they were, but he went out and met them. Had mm-hmm. to, like, walked out through the crowd to, to where the organizers were yeah. and had a one-on-one conversation with them. And they asked him right there, period, point blank, will you commit to defunding the police? Mm -hmm. And he said no. And they fucking booed his ass out of there. Mm -hmm. And he did the fucking, like, uh, uh, Michael Bluth, like, sad sack. Like, walk of shame as all these people are just yelling at him. And then, like, you know, and when I see that, I'm like, oh, good. Public, you know, politician getting like humiliated in public this is fucking great mm. but then I see that and then I compare it to my mayor and I'm like well, at least this guy's got some fucking balls to like come out and like address these fucking sure, people the, like the, face the, to face the, one of the lead protesters today <laughs> was just like I will be so fucking shocked yeah. if Bill Perdido even just like steps out onto his door alright uh, hi we're coming at you from uh, the future the next day. We, we are uh, recording an addendum to this episode because of uh, some pretty significant events that happened involving our dear mayor. So I think where we last left off here was uh, we were talking about how one of the organizers on the action that we attended was um, saying at the, the pre, pre-March rally, I guess, that she would be surprised if uh, Bill Peduto was actually home and actually would come out onto his porch to talk to protesters and... Uh, the very next day, it's exactly what happened, and then some other stuff. Uh, I'm pretty out of the loop of what happened. I pretty much lost the next day, so you're just going to have to fill me in. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, so, Bill Peduto, uh, first off, shows up at his house in the morning. Uh, um, Wait, did it? Did the people ever go away? No, they spent the night, and they weren't, like, the police just, like, kind of let them chill. They, were, they, they rallied all throughout the night and were a continuous presence right up until the morning. Then they left. Uh, then Bill Peduto arrives, uh, Market District back, fresh in hand, to talk to his. So uh, he wasn't home. No, he wasn't home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went to talk to you know his mayors, who were understandably like a little agitated with the fact that there were a bunch of people outside their houses all night, and like let's see, there was like footage of him talking about how to his neighbor, like, hey, if you got touched by the bullhorn, that's technically felony assault. So you know, I don't know, maybe follow a report about that. And then he went inside uh, and began his PR work. Which was to essentially post a really weird uh, picture of himself sitting on his porch with uh, um, a Mr. Rogers caption on Twitter, like "beautiful, beautiful night in the neighborhood," oh. knowing that the protesters uh, from the night before would be coming back um, to sort of like have a dialogue with him, and that he was like prepared to have a conversation. 
the office of the mayor on Twitter was responding to everybody criticizing him on, on, online, saying that, like, well, the mayor is going to be home tonight and he's going to talk to the constituents and, you know, all that good shit, I guess. So time comes, protesters arrive outside of his house, Peduto comes out, starts having a conversation with the organizers. I don't have the details on what was actually said, but I can tell you that the organizers weren't really happy and that Peduto sort of, like, you know, non-committed to about everything that they were asking for and then just went inside uh what was it they were asking for well they were asking for him to i think stop or like you know put a moratorium like on the um the black bag snatching that that you know the protests were kind of like galvanized by um when the the those cops that were like unmarked grabbed up that bike marshal uh-huh. um and he, you know, i don't think he committed to that and then like you know probably more demands like committing to defunding the police or committing to uh, enacting this amendment reform that they're all asking for uh, and, you know, just, like, passes all around the board. Um, So he went inside, and uh, that's when things got a little interesting. Um, So it turns out that, like, Pittsburgh police were waiting in the wings. There were, like, as the conversation was going on, people were starting to tweet about, um, you know, seeing the unmarked vans, like, around the corner and in the neighborhood, like, lurking around. Mm-hmm. And there, there are riot cops, uh, like, also stationed nearby. And soon enough, they all assemble, and they start forcing... Uh, they declare it an unlawful assembly, and then they start forcing the protesters um, into the Mellon, Mellon Park, the nearby Mellon Park, which is, like, little tiny green near Point Breeze, uh, mm-hmm. shady side area. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they instructed all of these protesters to, to go to this park, they told them that the uh, park closes at 9 p.m. Uh, and it was like 10 something by that point. So, you know, another lawful assembly and then that would, they would be subject to, um, you know, police action, which basically means like the use of non-lethals, like pepper spray, uh, tear gas, rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. I think they used all of them from what I, what I could gather. But like one, it's important to note that this is a, a lie. <laughs> like the, the, one of the uh, parks administrators like tweeted this morning that that park actually closes at 11 p.m. So, like, when the cops say that it closed at 9, that's a little bit of a fib. Also, the cops were using something called a kettling technique, which is where they kind of corral all the protesters into one contained area and, um, you know, restrict movement out of that area. So, like, everybody there is going to be subject to this kind of, like, police action. So, people got maced. Uh, I think a couple of people got arrested. Uh, some people were hurt. Some people were obviously, like, uh, like visibly distraught about it and then like uh you know scattered um to the winds and like basically like that the action ended like that and then i think the next the next morning uh there was like a municipal truck out there uh spraying down all the chalk art off of bill peduto street Mm -hmm. uh which is just another like little fine little fuck you in terms of like using our tax dollars you know to benefit this dude but like yeah so yeah interesting that we were wondering you know, when we went to the first action, like, oh, is this guy even home? Is he ever going to be home? Is he ever going to come out and confront uh, these protesters and, like, address his constituents and shit? And sure enough, he was, but only if he's, like, rolling deep with the goon squad behind him, uh, <laughs> ready to shut that shit down with force, um, you know, if it if it doesn't go his way. And that's that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, like, let's, let's take a little bit of a second here, I guess, to... Um, deep dive on, on Bill Peduto. We sort of went into this last time, but we're going to drop that because we decided to go and like, I decided to go and do my research. Um, I should say. So like, what do you, what do you think of Bill Peduto, Jerome? 
Um, I think I saw a picture of him buying drugs from a drug dealer one time, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, um, I know a photo like that too. Uh, that could potentially be a little incriminating. Uh, I know he's not, he's not buying it in the picture, but he's definitely hanging out uh, yeah. with one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that's one thing. Anything else? <laughs> Man, I don't know. This dude's just fucking, I don't know. I think, uh, because I didn't pay attention to politics for most of you know my existence in Pittsburgh, I was just like, I don't know, he's just a mayor and he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and that's it. You know, people were complaining about the bike lane stuff. I use the bike lane, so I'm just like, you guys shut the fuck up. And then now that nobody likes Peduto, I'm just like, hey, I still like the bike lanes, but uh, why don't you bike lane fuck you guys? Come on over this side too, because like. Let's get this dude out of here. Yeah, yeah, true. I get, so Bill Peduto is what could best be described as like a career politician, right? And like he's had a pretty long career in politics, uh, which started off even in like the kind of behind the scenes aspect when he worked as uh, an intern for Republican House of Representatives dude from PA uh, named George Gekas. And then as like a political consultant and a political director and chief of staff for various other, uh, you know, politicians, governors, and city council members in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, so this is a dude who knows the system, like knows, uh, you know, how to sort of game it, and is very much like in tune with that sort of like uh, performative politics that you see from like liberals these days. Uh, and the literal definition of, of performative is. Uh, is is you know an action that's done in service of securing a transaction so you, you act a certain way in order to get a certain thing and that's kind of like bill Peduto's whole mo and the reason why uh you know this guy can present himself as a uh, like kind of progressive mayor and stuff like that is like it's it's on brand right now it's like this dude is here to manage capital more or less and like that's what he knows and that's why he doesn't do anything that really changed the police that's why he's always constantly like sort of appealing to the private sector to solve pittsburgh's problems uh and like all really like just kind of like bends over backwards to like let these things because it's always going to be about profit over people exactly yeah yeah so like even when he became mayor right and he he ran for mayor like three times finally winning on his third time after the incumbent mayor luke ravenstahl like refused to run again hmm. and uh the first thing one of the first things that peduto did that was kind of un, of note was he dropped the city's lawsuit against upmc uh to challenge its tax exempt status so upmc is one of the bigger businesses it's a healthcare provider like in the city of pittsburgh they're a huge money generator like you know fortune 500 company probably but they have a tax exempt status which means that they don't have to pay taxes on any of the money that they make to the city um, the Ravenstall administration was challenging that. Bill Peduto uh, put you know put the stop on that and said that it was what, it, what like uh, so to my understanding, I I only thought it was like churches that were able to get non-exempt statuses. What other types of places are usually allowed to get nonprofits, which is what UPMC I think tries to say that it is, even though they're not. Oh. Yeah. UPMC is just the insurance, right? Yeah, exactly. But because they have like a research aspect to it, affiliated with the University of Pittsburgh, like that's where they try to claim the nonprofit <gasps> status. What? Yeah. So Bill Peduto just kind of like let that slide, drop that uh, lawsuit, and then really never touch back on it. And then like there's other things like 
he went to town, you know, bargaining for lifts just to get to lock their uh, operational rights within the city of Pittsburgh when the state was trying to like, you know, put some more regulations on ride sharing companies because ride sharing companies kind of treat their employees like dirt. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, Bill Pudu sided with them in that regard. Uh, and then there's like the Amazon headquarters two deal, which is where like Bill Peduto was cozying up to Amazon, the richest company in the world, to try to get them to build their second headquarters in Pittsburgh. And originally, the deal that he was offering, he kept sealed and like wouldn't let the public read it um, for a really long time until an, a lawsuit actually like forced him to unseal it. And then when we finally got to take a look at the inside of that deal, we saw a staggering six point seven billion dollars in in like tax incentives. For Does this Pittsburgh company. even have six point whatever? billion dollars worth of like anything in it what is that it's like it's coming from all three things the county the municipality and the state so like he was really trying to like give this 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 huge company just breaks all across the board and it breaks down something like uh, 4.5 billion dollar in income tax breaks which is like you know the, the money that amazon makes like they don't have to pay about to this back to the city to the tune of 4.5 billion dollars which is quite a handsome sum of money uh, and then there was also property tax breaks in the form of $2.1 billion, which is like, this would have been a huge headquarters, you know? And like property tax breaks are what goes to like funding schools and like, uh, you know, repairing our infrastructure and shit like that. Whoa, so they would uproot people and displace people and then not even like, they're not even following the campsite rule. Exactly. Like that's, and that, like it would, the talk was that the, the Amazon headquarters too was going to go on the Hazelwood Green uh, which is like this kind of like large empty lot in the Hazelwood neighborhood, which is like one of the few like black neighborhoods remaining in Pittsburgh. Mm. And, you know, we would have seen what would have happened in East Liberty when like Google moved into Bakery Square with like a, you know, a housing crisis. Like starts. they put in ugly buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The developers come in after all those people are kind of displaced because rent goes up or like, you know, property taxes go up. Uh, and then, you know, they make it accommodating for tech bros to move in. So that, that could have been... Hazelwood's fate, right? Amazon headquarters gets built there. Uh, the the landlords in the area start raising the money, anticipating these new class of like yuppie workers to come in and like fill those locations. And all the original inhabitants of the neighborhood are, are displaced. And then with the tax breaks that he was going to give to Amazon, the loss in property taxes from all of those people moving out of the neighborhood wouldn't have even been made up by the company that was displacing them because of the incentives that our mayor was going to provide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's just a little bit of background about bill peduto who likes to like paint himself as this like champion of progressive values and like you know a man for the people and all that kind of stuff but is really just kind of clearly interested in in um, representing the interests of uh you know developers in the capitalist class so i mean that guy's a real sack of shit but then like we get to a sort of like boiling point with that when we talk about his reaction to like the black lives matter movement going on right now and whisper more about that i mean well let's let's go back even before this little like cycle of unrest uh do you remember his reaction when um antoine rose was murdered well yeah for i mean i don't know word for word but he basically just jumped on twitter and was just like that's not pittsburgh don't don't bring that noise here right right his first reaction instead of like you know counseling the family that just lost their child or like you know condemning this act of violence uh, you know outright his first impulse was to make sure that there was a clear distinction between um the borough outside of pittsburgh where this happened and his city that he's actually the mayor of 
of because he you know it's it's kind of like whitewashing that or wiping off that accountability uh and that's sort of like been kind of his uh modus operandi for the rest of these protests too it's all these like these lip service sort of like uh i believe that like people have the right to protest and like that black lives matter is a crucial movement uh you know in, in our time and all that kind of stuff and i'm here for them Unless you pro you don't protest the way I want you to, or unless you show up outside of my house and stay out there too late, uh, unless like the chief of police, you know, tells me otherwise. Basically. Can we start like a you know this is just me being all high and, and reckless and stuff like like uh, and tell me if this borders on harassment? It probably does. Just like you know, tweet out whenever you see him out, fucking at the grocery store or something like that, and then a whole mob of people just show up. And just hang out. Nobody does anything. Nobody says anything. Just show out. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, know, I don't think that's harassment. I don't really think that elected officials have the same kind of, like, right to privacy or, like, you know, the need or that, like, um, space mm. requirement for, like, self-care or whatever. Like, they're yeah, not, just they're, yeah. fucking make this motherfucker sweat, like, all the time and, with uncomfortability. He, he is accountable to us. Like, we voted him in. Uh, you know, he's our mayor, he's, he's our representative official, like, he's supposed to be, like, you know, enacting the will of his constituents, right? And he just, more or less, just ignores us. And it's, it's funny, because, like, his, his coalition is getting smaller and smaller, like, every day. And he, with each gaffe that he commits to, like, smaller and smaller still. So, like, people from the far left hate him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you and I, far left, we're talking about, you know, all this shit right now. People from the right, they don't like him either. Uh, mostly because of the progressive paintbrush that he paints himself with. They just go with their uh, reactionary kind of like uh, stance on that and just hate him because of that. Mm -hmm. But like, so when this dude talks about like forming like, you know, a willing coalition of partners in the city to like really get shit done, you got to really ask like, who the fuck are you talking about, man? Because like people from the left don't like you. People from Mm -hmm. the right don't like you. So like, you're talking about like maybe like a small percentage of like probably just like the neighborhood of Point Breeze yeah yeah (laughs) like just centrist kind of like moderate Republican liberal that whole purple people like sort of like angle right Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah I don't know like we gotta we gotta maybe um, primary this guy (laughs) next year and and get him get him the fuck out of here primary what 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 is that (laughs) primary yeah what is that okay cue the schoolhouse rocks music right now uh for so primary is when uh you get challenged by a member uh within your own party in the election leading up to the general see that's why nerds will never win because primary is such a whack word just tell me challenge like that's what we gotta challenge challenge this challenge let's fucking show boo challenge this dude that's what like the wording needs to be like a primary let's primary this guy uh, I mean, this the energy is still there, yeah. obviously. But yes, continue. It's not as cool as challenge. It's right? not. Yeah, it really, I mean, it sounds like someone just like, you know, burst through the... We must the primary system. Bill Peduto. Yeah. No, you challenge him, you make him fucking shook. Yeah. Somebody's out there that's like coming challenge. for his neck, yeah. uh, figuratively. Kool-Aid man just smashing through the wall. Oh, Bill Peduto. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here for you. That's it. Who's Something. who will be that? Who amongst our listeners will be that person or knows that person? I don't know. I don't know. I personally kind of hope that it's maybe like Summer Lee. She would be pretty good. Is candidate. she like a local wrestler? Let's get a local uh, wrestler. She probably could throw down. I would imagine. <laughs> uh, but no, she's a, she's a local representative, and she you know she's to the left. She's a black woman from Pittsburgh. She's uh, got community ties she's out there in the marches and shit like that and we were doing when we did the action on juneteenth she was hmm. one of the speakers 
uh, you know, I think when we'd stop at the intersections and shit like that. So, like, she's out there, man. Like, she'd be a good candidate. I mean, at this point, I'd say anybody would be better than this guy. Yeah. Because I'm just, like, I'm basically getting sick of, like, watching this dude gaslight the city of Pittsburgh uh, and tell them one thing and then, like, do another. Has, Bla- Has Pittsburgh ever had a black mayor? That's a good fucking question. And I don't think, oh, I don't think so. You guys, I'm ruining Brian by asking questions that he yeah. can't look up and verify in the moment. I know that the last... A uh, couple mayors were not, were not black people. Right. They're, they've been white dudes, which is a rare thing for like a major American city. But I mean, Pittsburgh's a, a weird city. Well, like the person at the protest said the other day, Pittsburgh's not a city. It's a yeah, big town. Right. Yeah. It's uh, I, I've been telling people it's the biggest, it's the biggest city in West Virginia. That's how, you, that's how you should think about it. Yeesh. Yeah. So, yeah, Bill Peduto, not a good guy. Don't like him. Uh, probably should go. And it's maybe it's up to us like, uh, to, to organize on the ground and find an adequate replacement for this guy. Maybe that's the call to action. Who yeah. will pl- replace Peduto maybe and then see who steps up? Maybe it'll be Chew. No, I don't. You're going to run for mayor. Mm-mm. Yeah. My, my closet is full of so many skeletons. So I cannot do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's necessary to run for yeah. American political <laughs> like, po- office. Yeah, people probably think you're weirder if you don't have any skeletons. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and if I lay my skeletons bare and then say, now what? Now I'm just here to uh, do the right thing. What's what's up? Do the right thing. That's, oh, chew the right thing. Chew the right. That's your dude. That's your campaign. That's slogan. my campaign yeah, slogan. So you heard it here. Uh, you know, vote for Chew. We're gonna end it with that political call to action, <laughs> <laughs> and then we're gonna segue into uh, the rest of our episode where we talk about um, our dads. <laughs> Talking about uh, disappointing male figures in our life. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, we're, we, me and Jerome, decided to dedicate this episode to talking about dads. So, so the same way that the podcast came around, and that like we just kept on having conversations. That I was like, oh, it's a good conversation. We should like record this. Uh, <laughs> we got on the subject of dads the yep. other day. We just got on the subject of something, and it turns into uh, us comparing our situations. And contrasting and stuff like that. And we're just like, yeah, I think there's enough here for an episode. Sure. Yeah. And that there was something important, I think, that we kind of saw in our, our um, conversation mm-hmm. is like, you know, in a lot of ways, like as children, you inherit your politics from your parents. And Whoa. more specifically, you inherit your politics from your dad. Yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? I definitely inherited my politics from my dad. And obviously his politics fucking suck. <laughs> so like, so I, it's, 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 a, it's a strange process. It has probably a little bit something to do with dialectics, which is a big, you know, Marx's word that we'll explain later in this mm-hmm. episode. But mm-hmm. like, there's something to it. There's something to um, the father figure, like sort of like depositing this political like jargon into your brain, yeah. telling you what's right, and then like hoping that you stick with it as yeah. just like a little version of him mm-hmm. for the rest of the rest of your life. But I don't know. But it usually doesn't play out like that, or at least to me, uh, when you talk about like dads and politics or whatever, like. My dad and his political beliefs extended as far as we're black, we vote Democrat, and that's as much as I heard about that. That's literally it. Yeah. So what's what? Tell me about your dad. I mean, I know a lot about your dad from talking, but like, tell tell the audience like your your story, your background. Oh, is this what we're doing? So you're gonna learn about us in this episode. You're gonna learn about us. Yeah. So you're still learning. Okay. Uh, my dad uh came over from Haiti to America uh when he was like seven-ish or something like that. Um, his dad died when he was in Haiti, and so uh, he only came over with his mom 
You know how your sister? granddad died? Diabetes, you know, which okay. is like, when I, whenever I find myself wondering, I'm like, why am I even working out? This is stupid. I'm like, oh, I'm working out because last night before bed, I loaded up a plate of Sour Patch Kids for myself and, and then just went straight to sleep. It is your favorite meal. So uh, that's why I work out because yeah. I'm just trying to, in my head, keep the diabetes at bay that I know is in my family and stuff. Gotta watch out for the diabetes. So, so grandpa lost his foot and then died mm-hmm. and then my dad came to the United States, lived in, Hay- or lived in uh, New Jersey, Asbury Park for most of his life and then joined the Navy and then I think maybe like two years into joining the Navy is when he met my mom uh-huh. uh, out in San Diego. Uh-huh. And uh, that's, I don't know, the beginning of like a relationship that I fail to understand like 20 years later. Yeah. So so one thing I've always thought was, was interesting about your dad from those stories that you tell me is that, you know, as a Haitian, mm-hmm. like he decided to join the U.S. military, mm-hmm. which it has historically played a almost like sort of colonizer role with yeah. the island of Haiti. It would be, it would be interesting now like to ask my dad like what his what he observed you know in Haiti mm-hmm. and what uh what kind of role that that kind of stuff had played on him or whatever but you know we weren't having real conversations ever especially about stuff like that so like it's just as foreign to me yeah but you know a little bit about his childhood right uh I knew it was fucking rough like like it was like catholic school shit so he was uh taking it from the nuns at school and yeah. then he'd get home and uh got to talk about like generational trauma and stuff uh you know, my dad used to get like tortured and beat if he didn't get the uh, if he didn't get the right moves in chess and stuff like that. Damn. Um, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just something that was supposed to be like a leisurely activity. Mm-hmm. All I all I know from my dad about his dad is that there was like lots of like tortures and beatings, and uh, and then he died. Then he and, died. And, like when, literally. When, when your dad was seven. Yeah. Too, so that's like young as fuck. Right. So my dad was an immigrant. And uh, really, that's about as much as he talked about his experience in Haiti. What I do know about his feelings toward it is that it was a sense of shame. Yeah. Like everything about, um, you know, the way they, he grew up and stuff like that, it's not something that was celebrated ever. So it's not like he was proud to be Haitian? No. It wasn't until I got to, like, middle school that I started seeing kids with, like, ethnic pride. Yeah, and, and I would look around and I'd see like kids be like, you know, Viet Pride and fucking like, you know, Jamaican this and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And for all intents and purposes, I just thought of myself as just like, I, I call myself just like regular black forever. Regular. I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just like regular black and just like American ass fucking black black dude. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, there's this whole fucking cool cultural identity that like it, I I knew I was Haitian. Yeah. And my dad spoke it when he when he would visit his mom and stuff like that. Um. But the attempts to teach me, like, I know basically uh, a dog's understanding of, of Creole, of you know, like, sit, so like sit, eat, eat, all that kind of dumb shit or whatever. Like, that's, that's what, that's the extent of it. And yeah. Stuff. So you meant, and you mentioned that he never really spoke Creole, uh, like around anybody else. Except no, for, like, my his dad. mother, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. My dad uh, went through great lengths to hide the fact that he was from Haiti. Whenever people asked where he was from, he said New Jersey. Oh, shit. You know? Um, like what that's so much better (laughs) (laughs) yeah right i don't know man uh what year was your dad born i think like 64 something 64 okay so 64 uh i'm pretty sure that was the era of doc duvalier uh who was in charge of haiti at the time Mm. uh who please please white man tell me about haiti because i don't know right yeah let me (laughs) let me just drop some knowledge on you uh but yeah doc doc duvalier was um 
he was a dictator that the U.S. supported. You know, he was staunchly anti-communist. Wait, wait, like, like, uh, like, uh, like Doc Ock or like uh, Doctor Doom? Like, is that what, what do you mean, Doc something? What? Uh, they called him Papa Doc Duvalier. Like, I forget his first name. Like, but that was Papa Doc was his nickname, mm. and um, he ran Haiti for a really long time, and then uh, his son ran it after him, and they both had like you know oppressive authoritarian regimes, mm. very like harsh against uh, human rights. Uh, they had like a death squad known as the Tonton Makut, uh, which is like, I think a Haitian boogeyman. Um, oh. And they would, you know, just like disappear people, torture, oh, yeah, things, just like all that kind of horrible shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the U.S. was completely complicit in this, which is something that the U.S. has really done with Haiti uh, since, you know, the Haitian Revolution. Where they just what, stand up or like they, they back these dictators or they... The Haitian race Revolution made like the United States like super nervous because it was a bunch of slaves that literally like killed their masters and declared declared independence it was the first time that that had ever really happened Mm. uh, you know in the world and um, Haiti was right on the doorstep of the United States so they were like super worried that these ideas would get to their slave population and throw Mm. their entire economic system into jeopardy meanwhile instead of fucking being a revolutionary and stuff like that. My dad's a cuck. Yeah. He's in the Navy. So there's something about that, uh, which a guy named um, Franz Fanon, uh, who wrote about colonialization. I know that guy. Yeah, I bought one of his books of and his put books. it on my desk. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the colonized man is um, a man that's made through a process of colonialization. Right. And I hate this. I hate it because, like, the more that it's talked about, the more that <laughs> I feel like my actions and my thoughts my opinions were predestined by this whole colonialism thing yeah. whatever like whenever people talk about like your attractions and your attraction to Europeanness and whatever and like all this kind of stuff whatever it's it's been beaten into me or whatever and it's just like well then what decisions have I made on my fucking own yeah it I mean like that's a I think that's a big question that found on himself like was trying to answer you know uh but it's just like this idea like Prior to the process of colonialization, like the colonized man and the colonizer don't exist, right? Mm. They have to be participating in that act for them to sure. like, come into existence. Sure. Uh, so, like, the creation of the colonized man, and, mm-hmm. like, the creation of colonized culture is something that happens in this, like, dialectic of violence. Uh, and that's the second time I've used the word dialectic, so yeah. we'll go and talk about what that is. Yeah. Dialectics is just like this process of understanding like philosophical concepts, sociological concepts mm-hmm. in a sort of like cause and effect kind of relation. Mm-hmm. So like there's an original idea, which is called the, synth- or the thesis. Thesis. And then there's the opposing idea to that thesis, which is the antithesis. Yeah, because that's the opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they have uh, a fight mm. <laughs> and then they forge a new idea out of that called a synthesis. Which is mm. when those two ideas kind of like compromise or like at least come to a mutual understanding or something like that. Yeah. And then that synthesis in turn is a new thesis, right? Okay. So then the opposite of that presents itself and so on and so forth. So the colonized man is like, there's like the indigenous person mm-hmm. and then the, col- the settler arrives. And then all of a sudden the indigenous person is introduced into this dialectical process of being erased and replaced with the colonized man, okay. which has a new culture. It has a new new standards of beauty, new understanding. It's all through the lens of the settler, which mm-hmm. is like this sort of understanding that's imposed upon the indigenous person and transforms them into the colonized man. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So like Haiti, historically speaking, mm-hmm. has been the subject of like a lot of U.S. interventions. I think we've invaded that country like more than a dozen times just oh. to like say we don't like the way you're running things, you know. 
you're too loud basically mm-hmm. and go in there and, and change things up and um that is a colonizing process so like your dad sounds like this uh this sort of like type that the um the colonizer creates out of the indigenous body where it's like they have to have a, a certain sector of that population as like their sort of enforcers of like the people who like mm. like the police mm-hmm. essentially like mm-hmm. that like because mm-hmm. the settler is always the minority right because they're coming into a place that's not their home and trying to take it over yeah so they have to create a separate entity. i see what you mean they need they need the people from the land to be on their side a little bit to yeah. help at least people be a, like a hey, percentage God. of yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that and that goes in through a lot of different forms like you know they'll elevate certain academics to mm-hmm. like regurgitate settler values in a sort of like uh colonized sort of way oh well, well, well you know um keeping in talk talk with like the themes of our dads and stuff like that like all my dad ever wanted to do he joined the navy when he was that's like 18 right. yeah. and all he ever wanted to do was climb more and more and more i want to go to the next thing and like look i in a job setting like why wouldn't you obviously want to if you're doing well be rewarded for that work with more and stuff like that or whatever but like you know yeah i'm sure if this were back in slavery times my dad would be an overseer and just be like look like you know it's just it's a better job and i'm trying to like provide for my family i mean the those people had to be created in order for the whole system to function so like yeah i bring that up only because like i think it's curious that your dad uh chose to join the u.s military this fucking foreign institution that Mm -hmm. like is constantly brutalizing his nation like his home nation uh, like, why would you want to be close to that? You feel like if you'd had an understanding of that, like, as a Haitian, especially yeah. through, like, a national identity as a Haitian, like, you would know that the fuck the United States. Sure. I, I wonder what the fucking recruiter, you know, was like or whatever, because I'm certain my dad didn't say, like, I'm Haitian, and this is how I feel about, like, I'm sure whatever led my dad to join the Navy, it was just in pursuit of security yeah. and wealth and, 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 and housing and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and to a certain extent, cozying up to, you know, the settler yeah. to get to that. Gross. For sure. Yeah. So what about you? What's your dad's experience? Like what's, where, what's that? So my, my dad is a, uh, he's a first generation Italian. Um, both of his parents like came to America in the 20th century at different times. Mm. My grandfather came over when he was like 12, uh, and then um, my Nona came over uh, after World War Two, which she lived through and was kind of a mess. It was pretty tough. Mm. Um, so like Italianness was something that was really big with my Nona, but not so much with my grandfather, and then also not so much with my dad. Mm. Uh, so like, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I don't really remember him ever like speaking Italian or really like. You didn't have one of those uh, obnoxious American uh, Italian families. No, no. I mean. That's kind of like, why else be Italian if you're not going to be yeah, loud and boisterous? The only the only people that I really got the fun stereotypes from were my uh, my Nona and my aunts. Mm. Yeah, but I think that's because they never left like Philly and New Jersey. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But who knows? I don't know. Uh, so my dad, his, his like um, personal politics is he's like a Republican, and I don't really know how far right he is these days, but I'm imagining it's kind of far. Mm. Um, and I, the way he explained it to me as a kid was that um the republicans are the 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 party of small government Mm -hmm. like they they weren't gonna tell you what to do or like tax you too much or like mess with you and all that kind of shit and me yeah for sure uh me being like you know a a naive but like also kind of like in my early years of like i don't know 
just like a rebellious teen sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was the way to go. I was like, yeah, fuck that. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody, you know, in the government fucking like telling me how to live and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I remember like second year, Bush's second term or whatever. Maybe it was even earlier. But he was talking about the constitutional ban on like same-sex marriage. It never came to fruition, at least in terms of, of a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Um, and I remember when that was announced, I was just like, wait a second. Like, that's the government telling someone. That's like, tell, tell me what to do. Like, they're telling these people they can't get married because, like, you know, they're fucking gay. Who cares? And yeah. I, at the time, I didn't really care. Like, I didn't have anything against gay people. I'm like, why don't they get married if they want to? Yeah. So then I was like, I remember I confronted my dad about it. And then he, like, my dad is not a religious person. Like, he does not, like, he's a lapsed Catholic. He doesn't give a shit about any of that. He, then he starts hitting me with, like, the religious reasons why you know they couldn't and i was just like well then i'm like you're not this is you're not in, you're not living in accordance with your the values the thing that you say is appealing about the uh republican party republican party right yeah. if the if your appeal to them is that they don't tell you what to do in their small government they don't interfere with things here they are interfering with things and you're and you're parroting the the reasoning from like you know a religious perspective that you don't even agree with in the first place yeah so like cuck mentality you know like that's that's what that is so like that was like the first moment where I kind of like was like oh shit the fucking politics that I've inherited from my parents are pretty are pretty shitty I uh my first moment was also during the Bush years yeah uh I want to say this was probably directly after 9-11 because I was asking I was just like yo what if we're gonna go to like war or something like that like would you go uh would you I was asking my dad or whatever and he said uh Bush is the commander in chief Mm-hmm. Um, any president that's in office, whatever order they give, I will just do. Right, and this was and, after this whole like being like Democrat. We're Democrats. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, like I said, that was, that was as much as that conversation went. So then, when my dad said that, like just typical me who don't like taking orders from nobody, we're just like, wait, you're just some dude just says it, and you'll just do it. You yeah. just do it because you said because you signed this oath a long time ago. That's when like when I also sort of like. Because in high school, I think I was like at least on the fence about joining the military. You know, I was just like, "Oh, my really? dad did it." Yeah, oh, shit. like I, didn't know I that. swear, I I promise you, the fact that "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" was in effect like yeah. when I was in high school is probably the only reason I didn't go and do it. Oh shit! Like the recruiters would be in in my cafeteria and stuff like that, and you know, by my junior year, I was like fully gay and stuff like that, and like. Uh, just you know they'd be like hey you know you look like an able-bodied person i was like you guys don't want me and he's like what do you mean we do and i was like don't ask don't tell <laughs> and then he just came up short he didn't have shit uh, to say yeah. so like you know uh, I, I, yeah that's that's just where it was but then when my dad said that i was just like oh you no, i can't do that i can't just like blindly sign my life up for anything i always need an escape plan yeah and when you when you join the fucking military your escape plan is like whatever your contract ends or death or you know whatever fucking dishonorable discharge and i yeah. went none of that shit so that's that's when i first started to just be like oh you're you're buns dude like you're fucking whack because he was going to just blindly follow but like sure yeah, but I mean, this is also like he was also uh you know my dad uh, has been a regular black peer person level of racist, you know, my whole life. Like, mm. you know, ching chong here, there, and mm. like fucking, you know, uh, Mexican, this and this and that. And and you like, like that. Yeah, you lived in like the Philippines, like Guam and stuff. Not even till not even till later. We lived in Guam when I was in middle school. Okay. And the first night that we were in Guam, <clears throat> sure. Uh, we we get there and somebody we're, we're just walking in the street and somebody yells, "Hey, niggers!" Whoa. And I was just like, "Oh." 
okay, this is a 36 mile island in the middle of the fucking like fucking Pacific or whatever. And this is my welcome. Who was it? I don't know, just like people just driving by in a fucking pickup truck, Jesus whatever. Said that's a number. So like, you know, whatever. We see the shit all over the place, yeah. whatever. But, but yeah, or, uh, I don't know. Um, well, what, was da- what was your dad's reaction to that? I don't he, know. I'm there? pretty sure it was like a lean on me moment of like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, well, because uh, as a as a minority in America, your parents teach you from a very young age that you will not be liked. Yeah. Ju- just based on the color of your skin. So like, yeah. by the time I'm 12 and in Guam, people just say that. To, to me, in my memory, I'm just like, okay, you know, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's just going to happen to me, and uh, I don't know, that was just it. So, how did your dad reconcile, like, that with, like, you know, being in the military? Because I'm imagining where you guys were, like, touching down was, like, at a base, right? Yeah. Is that where you guys flew in, or did you guys fly into, like, the tourist airport or whatever? No, we, we flew into, like, the tourist area. Okay. Yeah, this was definitely, like, off base when this happened right. or something like that. Um, my dad, and, and that's the thing, my dad would acknowledge the racism that he, like, received uh, growing up. In, yeah. in in New Jersey, and then uh, he didn't really say that he saw it too too much in the military and stuff. Um, and then that was just yeah, I don't know. Like we that's like uh, sort of like the breakdown of us even talking just to to have conversations where it was it. Like we didn't really discuss politics ever that much after that. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Me and my dad argued a lot, uh, and like I my journey, my political journey was just like uh, from the moment I realized that. You know what my dad's assessment of the Republican Party was all about was mm-hmm. not, con- you know, consistent with reality. It was just a fucking like drift left, mm. like further and further and further left. Mm. So like uh, originally probably took the position, uh, go- especially going into like the first um, first Obama, um, you know, term like mm. like Democrat. You know, like big on that. Like this shit, like, they're the antithesis to the Republican Party. Like. Uh, I mean, to be fair, when Obama first came out, like they were saying, he was like a radical Muslim communist. So, like, I was, I was pretty excited about that language. <laughs> uh, but you know, didn't really pan out that way. And yeah. then you know, that pushed me towards like, I don't know, around the Occupy years as like a pretty, pretty solid like anarchist. Uh, and then I grew up and you know, started reading Lenin, and I'm a communist. So yeah, it's just been this like big thing left, and like the further left I go the less and less that me and my father can communicate about that kind of shit. Because, mm. um, like, now it's just, like, we're, we literally live in two separate realities. My dad and I stopped mm, talking. <laughs> you still have, like, I guess some sort of, like, speaking relationship <laughs> with your dad. Uh, when my parents divorced, uh, there was still some sort of, like, effort on my end to just be like, you know, I can... My gosh. By the, when my parents started divorcing... You know, I was very proud of myself as as to like how well I was handling it in the moment or whatever. Because it was just like I've seen TV, I've seen movies before. Parents divorce, it's a thing. It's no big deal or whatever and stuff like that. Then when they started putting me in the middle of it, you know, like tell your dad this, tell your mom this stuff for whatever. I still in my mind was just like this is just part of it, and I'm the kid that that does all this stuff because my brother, <laughs> my my older brother's never been involved in family drama, family politics and none of that shit he just somehow just like on the outsides and it's always just me who fully understands what's happening in the moment and all that kind of shit or whatever um and so by the time uh, by the time I was an adult my dad had already like started a new family um all kinds of shit or whatever and we still just couldn't find a way to be nice to each other he was always just uh everything was like a constant judgment of like a why aren't you doing better? Yeah. Why this, this, and that, and all this kind of stuff, whatever. Uh, my entire life, actually, was him 
just like not even just like failing to understand me, but not even wanting to make an attempt period to get to know me uh, or my brother or even like my mom to that extent. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, with know. the other day when uh, I had posted the, mm. the, the quote um, expectations mm. are resentments under construction. Mm. Uh, it was because Nick, shout out Nick. Shout out Dr. Nick. Uh, it's because uh, my therapist was just mentioning whatever. It's just like, your dad had expectations. Yeah. When those expectations weren't met, everything about your guys' relationship just became him resenting you guys for not meeting his expectations. Huh. I mean, I mean that sounds like, you know, that sounds like uh, behavior that's in accordance with dialectics, like going back to his the way his father treated him like mm. fuck up a chess move mm-hmm. like you know I expect you to be good at chess and if you're not fuck you mm-hmm. so like yeah that's that's it's weird cause like my, mm-hmm. my it's weird how like damn are we gonna become our dads no <laughs> like, no <laughs> like that's what I'm concerned with cause like my dad's dad my, he was a I don't know he was a fucking stoic like Italian guy didn't talk about his feelings a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know shit about my grandfather other than he like really liked to garden, and he really liked uh, nature shows <laughs> like mm-hmm. like lions and like stuff like that. Just All I know about my shit. grandfather is that he he used to he taught my dad how to properly eat sugar cane, and then my dad ate a lot of sugar cane. Just raw sugar cane. Real cool story, yeah, bro. Like island thing to do. Yeah. I know that my dad used to. Uh, get disciplined pretty hard by my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my dad figured out that if, you know, if my grandfather went a little too hard, um, he would feel bad and then buy him comic books mm-hmm. uh, the next mm-hmm. day. So then sometimes my dad would get in trouble on purpose. So uh, he could take a take a lump in and get free comic books. And then you're also, he's also sort of, I guess, learning. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. his own style. Yeah, that too. And I'm like, and then my dad, he wasn't like my dad used to get beat on by nuns too. Fuck, I'm in Catholic schools, dude. Yo, like that's that's a form of abuse that all parents like should apologize to their kids point blank for. It's for just real. like, hey, we didn't realize yeah. how bad that shit was. Yeah, if you were if you were like if you had a a boomer parent that went through a Catholic school, odds mm-hmm. are they were getting like punched in the face by adult men, <laughs> like, <laughs> like every day. Like it's pretty fucked up. So like that used to happen to my dad a lot too. And then like you. You know, you'd think like, you know, that kind of behavior would repeat. And I guess like, my dad sort of like used force on us, like not in any kind of like really psychopathic way, but like mm. frustrated and then would shove us uh, or something like that. Um, me, mostly me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he not really, that wasn't really big on words. Uh, and then I remember there was at one point, I think I was like 16 or maybe 15 or something like that, where like, I got shoved and I shoved back and then kind of realized that like I'd reached a point of strength mm-hmm. where it was going to require way too much energy mm-hmm. uh, for her to try, for him to try to discipline me like that. Um, Jeez, so. you, and, you and I were talking the other day about like sort of that moment where our dads realized that like certain punishment methods yeah. weren't going to work anymore yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine was when I was 13 and I got a belt. Like that was the last time we, the bell was consistent like my entire life yeah. or whatever go get it him doing like little popping motion <sighs> and all that he fucking that noise too. yeah they dude, love to do that, that popping motion that yep fuck that it's man. fucking torture dude yeah. and and now now I'm conflicted as shit because like as a hypersexual gay man whenever I hear the sound <laughs> whenever I hear the sound of a belt buckle <laughs> unbuckling like I'm turned on but then if I see like the physical belt it reminds me of that I'm just like yeah this, this is fucking whack but uh, so so the belt stopped working around thirteen, and I 
I guess I sort of stopped misbehaving around that age too. I was like pretty chill for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then became like I was an older teenager, 16, 17, and get my own car and all that kind of stuff, uh, which he bought for me on 9-11 TM. Oh, uh, damn. Because I begged for it because I was a little shit. Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is a good story. This is on the actual day of 9-11. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you know, uh, my dad had Where said, were you? I was living in, in... Oh, this is interesting. I was in Dumfries, Virginia. This is like, you know, uh, west of D.C. by maybe like 45 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it was the day before 9-11 and my dad was just like, tomorrow we will go and look at cars for you after school or whatever. And I was just like, tight. That was the only thing on my mind. So uh, 9-11, uh, that day comes, I'm in Algebra 2 and they make an announcement that there's been an accident at the Pentagon, which was you know relevant because like lots of kids, parents worked at the Pentagon. This is close enough to DC. To me, I'm just like, accidents happen. I don't know what they're talking about. I know I'm getting a car today. So, uh, you know, school carries out throughout the whole day. And then I go home and my dad's... You guys went the whole day? Yeah, they didn't really release this. Okay. Uh, I get home. My dad's home from work early. And I'm like, well, that's fucking weird. My dad's not supposed to be home for like another hour or so. But also, I was just like, tight. That means we can go look for the fucking car now. And meanwhile, him and my mom are like glued to the TV. And they might as well be watching a movie for yeah. as much as I right. cared <laughs> or actually knew what was happening. Uh, meanwhile, my mom was on her way into D.C. that day. And the plane that hit the Pentagon flew over her car. And she said to herself, hey, this plane is really low to the ground. And then like a few seconds later, she heard this deafening crash. And saw this fucking smoke come up or whatever. So like, you know, my mom has seen it. And my dad's watching it. And I'm just like... Like, hey, why is nobody driving me to the dealership right now? <laughs> so basically, like, I my my actual memory of like watching 9-11 is on a TV inside a car dealership, like while like my dad's signing papers and just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, give me this fucking car now. What's so, what kind of car did you get? Uh 96 Toyota Corolla. And then the first thing I did was put a Blink-182 sticker on the bumper. It's like, take off your pants and jacket. It was, it was a good time. Damn, yeah. So 9-11, uh, let's see, I was a freshman in high school. I remember the first little like telephone news relay for mm-hmm. that, that happened was this kid. Uh, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, he, he ran up and told me... Um, that he heard a pilot had gotten drunk and crashed, crashed a helicopter into the Pentagon. Oh. Yeah. That was, you know, you know sure. how that shit worked. It's pre-smartphones. <laughs> like every, everybody's flying blind and right. in the dark, right? Uh, but uh, I get to my civics class, I think it was like fourth period, and the professors got it on, like the news on television. And then within a period, I think we were sent home. Hmm. Uh, same situation, I get there, and my dad's already home from work, and he is just like, mad like livid mm. and like because he's watching fox news and uh like the coverage on fox news i don't know if anybody remembers was like yeah they showed that shit like non-stop mm-hmm. like on a fucking continuous loop i'm sure that was every network too yeah. but fox news also spliced it in with a lot of footage of like just random crowds of arabs like Jesus. cheering and stuff like Jesus. that another thing i noticed was a little weird because of the time of day like was off oh you know what i mean Cause okay. it, was, it was still middle of the day like yeah. over there uh, you're a fucking nerd if that's what you're considering. Yeah, I was a nerd. Get, what <laughs> of it? I, like you're talking to a fucking geography bee champ. Jesus so, like, Christ! Fuck off. So I knew the time zones. Yeah, well, these can't I, be real. I knew that it would at least be dark <laughs> over there by that time, and it wasn't. So I was like, "Where's this fucking footage coming oh, from?" Oh wow. wow. Um, but yeah, it's just like my, just super fucking pissed. Like we're gonna we're gonna fucking 
Walmart. Oh yeah, you know, like and my dad. This was the birth of of towel heads in my house. As yeah, a fucking slur. You know, like my dad uh, had no problem. Yeah, going around fucking these rag heads, these towel heads, this and all that. See, kind now of shit. Like my dad always took like the more rational like kind of approach, which is like even more like stupid. Like where he'd be like, well, you know, Islam is an inherently violent religion. He said is? Is. Yeah, mm. like that's his opinion. You know, that's, because he would get that from like the more educated, like sounding voices that would appear on right right wing news networks. Sure, right? sure, sure. Uh, and this is a this is gonna be a th- uh, like the, the theme that I'm building with my dad's politics is that he mm. picked a side in like the eighties. Uh, I think maybe just because his personal life at that particular moment in time it was mm-hmm. like really good and i mean like he probably had a good job like coming out of, coming out of college in the late 70s and into the 80s where there was like an economic boom and like hiring in that particular sector that he was going right um uh, because you know a lot of things that at the time looked really good but we know now like didn't really work out like trickle down economics and all this fucking like deregulation yeah all those things all we industries. know about totally we yeah. know about those yeah, yeah 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 i mean like maybe not you but you know me okay yeah <laughs> so like but anyway he you know he got married he had, he had his first kid and uh yeah i think things were just like super good for him so like he never um did anything about it right um so we we, d- we detoured after 9 11 because uh this was just sort of around the time that my dad and started started disagreeing and so since the belt didn't work and i was uh, approaching man age <laughs> if this was like some village shit or whatever my dad started like bucking and getting in my face and a lot of like shoving me trying to get me to retaliate so that he could lay me out like dude i've never i've never met somebody who wanted to fight me more than my dad like after a certain point in my life or whatever everything became about you're a man step up and do something about it fucking if you really feel so strongly about (laughs) i honestly can't even fucking tell you any of the things that we argued about at that time, whatever. And they weren't even real arguments because I was never allowed to argue. The moment that I disagreed in like a tone or something like that or whatever, it was instantly just like I had a few steps, a few options, and they, all of them were de-escalate or else he's going to like come down like a nuclear bomb torch type shit. Mm. Like the, 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 the malice that I saw in my dad's eyes, like when he just wanted me to, to buck him so that he could like fight me or whatever it was insane so instead like i never would you know it was, it was always just sort of like these like stare downs or whatever and then since he wouldn't do that i remember like there were a few times where he would just like put liquid soap on my tongue and then just like make me stand there and i would just stand there all night i would just fucking stand there with my tongue out like more so in defiance just like i don't give a shit fucking i'll do this shit or whatever so that was you know that was my relationship with my dad. And then even after that, I still tried to like be there and like <laughs> sort of have some relationship because he had a new family. I had a new little brother, uh-huh. all this kind of shit or whatever. Like, this is great. But uh, I don't know. We just never couldn't, we could never get on the same page. And I just eventually was like, I don't think I need this anymore. And I pretty much like stopped talking to him, whatever, which is great. Cause yeah. like, uh, but yours didn't sound like it was really too much about politics. No, yours is more about like what's appropriate for like masculinity kind of shit like that uh, like the breakdown of our relationship yeah i mean well i mean you told me that he wasn't really too crazy about about the fact that you were gay oh god no he tried to disown me like a number of times like yeah. that's another thing that he sort of like threw out like like a fucking Yu-Gi-Oh card every once in a while or whatever it's just like this whole like whenever things are bubbling up too much or whatever he'd throw this whole disowning me thing which means you know he's not paying for you know college mm-hmm. uh whatever car i had at the time whatever uh, he's not going to pay for my housing when I go back to the States, all this kind of shit or whatever. Um, 
I don't know. He he uh, he used all these kinds of things as, as a means of control in order yeah. to get people in his life to like do things that he wanted. Yeah. See, all right. So my dad not like that at all. Like my dad, my dad, my dad was more along the lines of like um, I don't know, just like presenting as like the intellectual kind of like voice in the room. Like mm. you know, he was a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He was like. Um, He's a chemical engineer, so he's like really good at math and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Two, I want to just point out in case my dad listens to this, two very distinct things from social sciences, political science, and history, buddy. So like just because you're good at numbers and chemistry and shit doesn't make you an expert at all that stuff. Get him. But yeah, you know, he, he likes to, you know, he has his opinions about shit and like if he thinks he's right, he thinks he's right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean like he thinks he's right. So like that's that's the only time you would get that kind of hostility that you were describing like right. out of my dad was like when you really pushed them about like, like facts about facts what man but otherwise just like me doing my own thing like you know, he was fine with it like I was in a punk I was like a little punk in a punk band and no. did punk things and like when I got in trouble with the cops like cops. you know like he didn't give me a big spiel like he would actually kind of relate to me and be like yeah I got in trouble with the cops when I was a kid too like you know, I, you know blah 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 I was you know we know what it is like sure. trouble boys Boys will be boys, all that kind of shit. Sure. Uh, God, the boys will be boys shit my dad taught me, like me- fucking melt paint off walls. Yeah, and and further than that, he kind of had like he didn't really wasn't really interested in the like day to days of like my feelings or like thoughts mm-hmm. or anything like that. He was just kind of like the provide. I'm gonna sure. provide dad, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna come home. I'm gonna watch golf, and then I'm gonna go to bed, mm-hmm. uh, and then repeat. And my like, dad, uh, this is like the only time I fucking hate giving him any kind of credit. Because, yeah. like, yes, provider did that shit, did all yeah. that kind of stuff, or whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't think he liked anybody in our family. Like, he didn't like my mom because she was an individual person. He wanted, when he came home, he, he basically wanted to marry his mom. Yeah. When he came home, he wanted a meal to be waiting for him, ready, somebody to be there to him, like, greet him at the door and just, like, whatever whatever when my brother and i became like independent people and didn't need you know like our mom to be there at home whatever my mom was just like tight i'm getting a life yeah uh and so he resented her for that when i started basically i followed my brother's trends all the time whatever when he started getting into like raving and all this kind of stuff whatever followed right behind him with all that kind of shit everything that any of us did in the house he just felt like he was like a stranger in his own fucking home that's that's stealing credit I'll give that, that, that's, that's the only thing I'll give him because like he still cheated on my mom like a bunch of fucking times or whatever like he made a bunch of decisions and, and he and he justifies them all or whatever and so like that I don't know maybe that's where I get justified bullshit from mm. just seeing that kind of shit happen or whatever uh, yeah so did you become your dad? yeah I, yes yep yep yeah I, I, I let are we becoming I think I, I mean, in a lot of ways I think there's some tendencies for my dad that I well he didn't go to, to therapy and, and work on any of his mm, shit so mm-hmm. uh, I'd already put myself uh, at a way better position yeah I've done some really fucking shitty things whatever but in as much as I could be accountable for them I have been and then that's when therapy became super important for me yeah. or whatever because it's like <coughs> I need to examine my motivations <coughs> why I do the things that I do and try to figure out how to not repeat those things, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like my, the model of masculinity that I had growing up for, I had to unpack like later in life was just not, not talking about stuff mm. like, um, that sort of like stoicism, mm-hmm. right? Which, shutting down or just like, yeah, well, yeah, I not mean, even like, getting to the point. No, well, you're just like shutting down, not even getting to the point, just like totally like avoidant kind of like attachment stuff. Mm. Um, I like, bet emo music played a role in that. Emo 
music did play a role. I hate that shit. I've hated emo since it. its I loved inception. It for a really long time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Too many fucking misplaced feelings put on fucking people who don't even know what their feelings are yet. Maybe it's because I never talked about feelings with my dad, which I didn't. We were um, not big on feelings talking. Is this like sad music in the background? This is yeah, cat, cats in the cradle. <laughs> cats in the cradle, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, we were just not into like talking about emotions or like um, feeling sad. Like, you know, like not to say that like didn't try. No, not really that hard. Everything that I remember from my dad trying to be like mm-hmm. emotional, sentimental, it mm-hmm. all felt fake. Yep. Back then it just, it felt like, who are you and what are you doing in this moment? Because you're the same guy that tells me about how you used to like, you know, play run, catch and freak. Like, which was like, why are you telling an eight year old? Yeah. That? Just like, uh, just, yeah, like some dumb, wait, what's run, catch and freak? You know, exactly what it sounds like, I guess. But like, you know, wh- once again, look, why is what this? Is it, what does it sound like? I guess hide and go seek and like you're, you're, you're doing stuff. If you, if you catch the person, you know, what? Yeah. Wow, what a great variation of that game. It's fucking New Jersey, okay? Asbury Park. That's how they get down yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, my dad was, like, uh, Morrisville, <laughs> Morrisville, PA, which is, like, right across the river from Trenton. So, oh, New Jersey. close. Yeah, New Jersey games, man. Wow. I wonder if he played Run, Catch, and Freak. Doubt it. Didn't you say your dad was a nerd? Yeah, it kind of was. Big on, <laughs> I mean, big on math, big on comics. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. these are another things that I inherited from my dad, except for the math part. I fucking suck at math, but I do love comic books. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, like mostly my model of like masculinity is like really just kind of like you just handle your shit. Like mm-hmm. when you have a job to do, you do it, and then you know you don't. If you have a problem, you don't, you don't right. really talk about it. Right. You and I mentioned we we went and we tried to find like positive. Mm-hmm. aspects of masculinity that our fathers passed on to or us just positive aspects of masculinity in general just that and that's where it led to we, we yeah. were trying to actually just like i even i was just like brian just humor me google and try and find out what like what positive aspects yeah. of masculinity are and like everything we just came up short because yep. we're just like we can see how on paper this thing is great but also if you're not like everything is a two-step thing with when I learned about nihilism or whatever, I was just mm-hmm. like, yo, nihilism is a shit. I don't have to care about anything. Or if it's just like, ah, you're almost there. No, that's not it. There's yeah. another step. There's another so step. like everything with our dads and our masculinity ever was like the my I got my work ethic from my dad for sure. When I was working when I was like fifteen, you know, in, in Virginia you had to be sixteen to start working. I wanted to work as soon as possible. What yeah. did I do? I started he was a soccer referee. I started being a soccer referee also because I wanted to work so fucking bad. Right. And then from that point on, I've had a job and I've always felt like, you know, yeah, of course I, I should be doing this. When, when I have friends, even, even knowing you and you're just like, <laughs> you, I don't know, you're like freelancing or whatever. <laughs> and you're just like doing your own thing. I'm just like, yo, no security. I need this job security. I need, you know, to feel like, like I'm being, uh, like I'm doing the right thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a lot of that too. Uh, where like, you know, you got to put in the work, like you got to like, uh, you know, you don't do work for the day, you don't eat for the day, like that, mm-hmm. like that kind of like mentality. And like, that was really important. And I've had like a lot of blue collar jobs my entire life. But like, I'm ne- I also, I guess, really, because like I said, my dad's like so fact based, right? So yeah. like my big antagonism with my dad has always been like, you're, you know, you're wrong. And like I'm right or something like that, yeah. you know, I like just the the quest to like prove my dad wrong or like win in an argument. It must be even nice to consider like the fucking idea of even arguing, right? With your dad. well, I've given up. <laughs> I've actually given up on that. Idea. Sure, <laughs> in, in, in recent years, but like that idea drove a lot of things to like 
I don't know, just like think more critically about in, in this kind of like quest to like prove him wrong. So it's like, interesting. Yeah. In terms of like jobs and shit, I never really thought that they were important. Like when I gra- dude, when I graduated, I, I, I would keep jobs for like a long time if they were easy. Uh, and when I graduated from college, um, like they were like, you know, either go to grad school or like get like a real profession. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to work at a pizza shop and paint. Oh my God. I, I inherited, uh, so I don't think. You weren't happy about it. Sure. So I'll say this. My dad, uh, just on the subject of like being black and, uh, in the, in the workforce and everything like that, I definitely, my dad was in, in the Navy. And so, you know, a lot of it was about like hide your, hide your personality, hide all this shit or whatever. You're here to get a job done or whatever. Mm-hmm. Climb, 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 do as much as you can and stuff like that. And you would see, uh, you would see the way my dad would act around his like subordinates or whatever. And then, or, or his superiors and then come home and talk all kinds of shit or whatever. But it's just like, yo, but you were like shucking and jiving just like two seconds ago. Like I saw you with your big fucking big ass smile. Like, Hey, yes, yes, boss. All that kind of shit or whatever. So then by the time I got into the workforce, like every job that I've worked at, uh, I've always been offered, like higher position first job movie theater boom let's move you up to supervisor let's move you up to this let's move you up to that or whatever and i was always very comfortable with it uh my dad you know for what it's worth he always was he always said like be a leader not a follower yeah and 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 when i got into the workforce whatever i don't know people just saw the way that i i i was a job and, and i've always had all these options to do that um but i just don't i just i never wanted to i, I always I, I knew that i wanted to be an artist at some point and then when my dad found that, that found that out, he was kind of like iffy about it. He was like, I don't know, doesn't really seem like there's money in it and stuff like that or whatever. So yeah. by the time that I got to like uh, community college, you know, he was paying for it a little bit. But then when I wasn't taking the classes that he wanted me to take, yeah, uh, even though I was just going for like a general studies fucking associates, like with like, I don't know, for art. Uh, he basically just like cut my funding off for school because I wasn't taking like the right classes and stuff like that. And I was just like, yo, this is like super fucking counterproductive. You want me to do well, but I'm not doing well in the way that you want to. So, uh, you're just cutting me off, which whatever, I guess it's just fucking money or whatever. But like, Hey, I'm 19 over here. Just trying to like do the right thing. Yeah. I didn't get that. I just got suggestions like, and then mostly actually from really from my mom, my dad always sort of like, just like. And if he starts, he starts. Like, he'll be fine. And, like, that was kind of it. Um, and I didn't. So, like, I guess he was right. I don't know. But, like, that brings us back to what we were saying. Like, what are the fucking positive aspects of masculinity, if there are any? And if we, there are if any. If we pick... Like, is that what... Is that a good... Is, like, that kind of, like, uh, uh, live and let die attitude? <laughs> like, I don't know. Could be. It, could that be good about anything like that? Live and let die? What do you mean by that? Oh, just, like... Um, I don't know, like leaving someone to their own, like trusting that someone, like he, his son is just going to survive or he won't survive. Like, mm. That kind of like detached sort of like, eh. If it, yeah, know, I, think, like I think it's one of those things where, yes, it might get you to a certain point, yeah. but at certain point, which is where we are now, you look around and you're just like, yo, you can't do everything by yourself. That's true. That's the whole point of yeah. what we're doing right now is that we, you know, you realize how much you need other people and you need to depend on other people and have them around and like so you need something to fucking fight for you need something to believe in yeah it's beyond yourself so i guess that gets to the theoretical little aspect that i was I, I was you know tinkering with when we were talking about this the first time is that like maybe there were good aspects like mm-hmm. of masculinity but mm-hmm. like in 
a capitalist society, like where everything is really just like rooted in, in individualism yep. and like pursuit of wealth and just like pursuit of power through mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. All of those qualities have been corrupted. Oh shit. Like okay. all, all and now they cannot be good. Like the thing that is making masculinity Damn. toxic is it might be capitalism. Damn. That's my theory. Because like let's look at our dad's office. <laughs> yeah. So you <laughs> so what would you say, like, if anything, like, uh, of an attribute from your dad, like, would you say was positive, like, in terms of his masculinity? Just, like, work ethic. Right, work ethic, right? But to to what ends to work up the ranks of, a, you know, one of the most impressive, like, oppressive institutions, like, in the entire world, the U.S. military, right? Mm-hmm. Bombing Iraq and, like, in, you know, internalizing, uh, internalizing like, that, that sort of, like, racism required to, like, bomb Iraq. He's on the scale sure. of the Iraq war yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Finding ways to justify it. You know, basically moving up that sort of, like, ladder in a settler colonial system when yeah. he's coming from an environment, you know, that has been uh, destroyed by a settler colonial system. Oh, I'll tell I'll tell you how. Yeah. Uh, when he joined the State Department, he refused to tell them he was Haitian because he didn't want them to actually send him to Haiti for any oh, reason. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah well, and he like he would say that, you know, proudly. Right. So then so then when you look at that work ethic, it's like all right, it doesn't become it becomes corrupted by by what is required to succeed mm-hmm. and like what work ethic rewards in a capitalist society, right? Right. So like that access to that sort of like power is appealing uh and like the work ethic that is uh normally a, a kind of virtuous thing like if he's out like toiling the fields and like bringing home like food for his family and like working hard all day like that everybody would be like well that's a good fucking solid dude right there right 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 uh and then but because he's you know working up the ranks that like uh, <laughs> as an internalizing these sort of like horrible ideology like mm-hmm. kind of tenets uh which is in turn being like you know reflected back on you and oh yeah this is all i'm noticing this is all i'm watching is him like code switching and and hiding uh like the most important sort of like deep parts about himself right right and that's what success is so like there's work ethic is out, out the bat right right, right. not a good yeah. thing in capitalism mm-hmm. okay so like one one i would say my dad was pretty stoic and like being stoic is a good thing but like so like him not, why, why, why do we applaud stoicism stoicism so like as a philosophy it, it comes from uh like ancient roman times and it's it's really just sort of like uh like uh kind of like mindfulness like what we would call now like mindfulness like exercises and shit like that mm. it was just more about realizing that like the only thing that we can control is ourselves is ourselves is okay. like our own thoughts which like, sounds good yeah it is i mean it was it's solid philosophy it really calls for you to be like calm and like sort of like non-violent like most of the time right because mm. like to a stoic like acting out of violence is acting out of sure that means that means that you've let your emotions win yeah and that emotion is going to be gone in five seconds so like why would you act on something that you're only going to feel for like five seconds right yeah so like in a limited understanding right in like maybe like a system where the education system is sort of like not prioritizing learning anything about ethics or morality that's a whole other thing Mm -hmm. but we don't know stoicism as like a deep philosophical tradition we just know it as like you don't talk about your feelings Mm. right so like again when you when you don't have like, I mean, capitalism and the way it affects the educational system is a whole other fucking huge issue. But like, we can just acknowledge 
for the sake of this argument, mm-hmm. that capitalism adversely affects the educational system. Yes. So, like, without that maybe rich knowledge of, like, the philosophical background and, like, the depths of Stoicism, then you just have that sort... And, like, you were saying with nihilism, too. Like, mm-hmm. you have this sort of, like, limited understanding of it, right? Which which causes you to, like, act in a sort of, like, incomplete way. It's like, very much, like, take what you like and leave the rest. Yeah or, yeah. or don't even learn the rest. Or, like, you know, what's maybe beneficial for, like, living in a capitalist kind of way. Like, it, it certainly is helpful if you are a uh, nihilist, as in the sense of, like, nothing fucking matters, to justify, like, I don't know, burning down the rainforest so you could, like, have a fucking... Fracking. Yeah, fracking. Okay. Or, like, some mm-hmm. fucking, like, I don't know what they really actually do down there, like, cattle ranch, like... You know, it'll only be good for like three years or whatever. Yeah. That's bad. Like, and then, like, therefore, those virtues, like that idea of stoicism, it, yeah, sure, it's great not to be like overreacting and like making rash decisions based off like, you know, emotional heights of a moment of passion or shit like that. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's not so good when you're like not checking in with your loved ones and like people who care about you who need to know how mm-hmm. you feel about things mm-hmm. and like how things are affecting you and shit like that. Or maybe when, you know, you're so used to not talking about your own feelings that you can't actually acknowledge when something, like, is really seriously doing you harm. Fucking A. Like, I, whatever. I, I have only brought up my parents' divorce twice in this yeah. podcast. But whatever. It, maybe if at any other point before, you know, when I started cheating on my mom and stuff like that, he had attempted to talk to her. Yeah. Conveyed any kind of fucking feelings except for, like, I'm the man and I'm the provider and I'm owed this because I'm providing and it's not being given to me so I'm gonna go get it somewhere else type shit yeah. instead of just like I don't know try communicating with your partner and that that whole the whole phenomena of like cheating too right like that plays off a thing that's also supposed to be virtuous for like our like a good quality about for men yeah. yeah right it's like vitality that whole notion gross yeah, stop su- spreading seeds super gross yeah right but like so like maybe right in a more open like so in in capitalism regarding like that kind of thinking you have to work from like two contradictory points right you have one where it's like the the sort of like norm framework for relationship is like committal like monogamous ones yeah but then there's also this impetus on masculinity to Mm -hmm. like nail as many fucking chicks as possible right right so like even kendrick lamar speaks about it yeah uh, in a song he says uh what the black man say he says fuck on a new bitch every hour and it's like that's what my dad's lesson to me was like my dad was talking to 12 year old me yeah why aren't you more of a pimp what yeah, Method Man. <laughs> Method Man had a line once. I think uh, the what the only thing better than pussy is new pussy. Oh my goodness! Right, and like really cuts to the core of it. So like maybe in a society right where we don't have this sort of like um, patriarchal domination over women in the form of like the monogamous like married unit kind yeah. of mind frame, right? And it's like more open and like polyamory, then like that impetus for like masculinity as vitality can mm-hmm. be seen in a more positive light, right? So you're just dis- you're talking about snoo snoo. What's that? Uh, Futurama? Futurama? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Snoop Snoop. But what I'm saying is like, is, is like everything as it exists now, like everything, mm-hmm. everything that we normally associate with like good things about masculinity, like because it's aimed in this sort of way that is like by nature, mm-hmm. like nefarious and like bad, yep. like capitalism is, yep. like it all comes out as bad. So like 
the warrior code, like that kind of shit, probably was a good thing when like, you know, you were required to literally defend your village and like your loved ones and like, you know, from, I don't know, whatever. But then when the colonizers came and they were just like, hey, you could just like defend your village or you can come fucking work for me. Or you can take that warrior code and like oppress other people and steal their fucking riches and shit like that. And then that just sort of like mode of thinking and like masculinity just transforms and transforms and transforms. So it remains consistent in that very core essence of like I'm gonna use my I'm gonna use my strength yeah. to fucking get rich and then like the idea of like violence in itself is like so explicitly linked to masculinity yes it's like yes it's like one it almost completely exists within the realm of the masculine it doesn't exist anywhere else right uh, and that it's like even when even when uh, feminine people are uh, are, are are sort of like violent. We attribute that to masculinity. Yeah, she fights like a dude. She right. like looking like whatever. You know, right? And we put that sort of like that masculine persona onto things like the the state, like the police, and like the military are like seen in a very like fatherly way, right? Because mm-hmm. they're out there telling you what to do, mm-hmm. and like they have like just like your dad, they have the monopoly of force, mm-hmm. and like you gotta wonder if like. Maybe being a dad prior to capitalism was like a way different fucking experience, right? Because mm. what is like, what is being a dad, like what we just described for the last like hour, kind of mm-hmm. sound like? Kind of sounds like the state. Yeah. They own the fucking shit. Mm-hmm. They own the house. It's their fucking rules. They have the monopoly of force, right? They're the only ones that can like raise the fists and like rabble rouse in the house. Right. Like you just said you threw hands, like your dad would challenge you. Oh, yeah. It was like, and what do you think fucking cops do, right? Oh, <laughs> like, gosh, they ew. bait you, dude. They ew. bait you into reacting so they can fucking start pummeling you. And like, why do our fathers think that way? Yo, dude, you made me, and I just want to fucking like listen to some rave music or something. Like, what's the big yeah, fucking deal? Right, right, right. And then, like, and then even going to my personal relation with my father, like, what's the big fucking deal if you're wrong, right? Like, mm. if you're wrong about like the way that the system is designed, and like, who who can't admit that capitalism is a problem more than capitalists? <laughs> You know, oh, what sure, I mean? sure, 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 right? Sure, sure, sure. That's like we the last the you take episode that away two. from them. Yeah, well, cultural hegemony. They have this whole fucking structure like embedded into them mm-hmm. to like reproduce that fucking normativity in the minds of like the working class, right? Of their values, right. and that, that that's just like that's basically just what my my dad more or less, our fathers more or less do is oh, they yeah. like they try to instill their values like into us, mm-hmm. and if and if we uh, reject them or should like buck from them, oh, then yeah. there's like re- there's repercussions for it, right? And like yeah, so look at that, look at that, fucking like fatherhood is probably one of the most important sort of like virtues like positive qualities of masculinity Mm. right and if like fatherhood is essentially sort of like the small replication of like state citizen relations in terms of like dad kid relations or whatever Mm. if the system that they're mimicking is like this insane profit driven like authoritarian like uh, Throwing um, weight around, yeah, like oppressive, mm-hmm. fucking, like do what I say, not what I do, Jesus sort of Christ. like goddamn fucking like apparatus. My the amount my dad would learn phrases every couple of years, and when he learned "do as I say, not as I do," holy yeah. shit, was right. that thrown around constantly? Right. Yeah. So and, and like that whole mentality is like exactly at the core of like the fucking like Black Lives Matter issues right now, right? Is like. You are not allowed 
to like demand justice. Mm-hmm. You are Whoa. not you are not allowed to to ask for justice. I will tell you Whoa. when justice is served. Whoa. And if I am doing something that seems unjust, too bad. You're not allowed to do that. Do so, that. like, we're not allowed to, you know, we can't kill a cop, but uh, they can kill us. Mm-hmm. And that's, shit. like, that's the monopoly of force that our fathers fucking normalize inside of our brains. See, when you, you when you were listening to this, when you saw this episode, twist, you, you were all just like, oh my God, I don't want to have to listen to two cis dudes talk about their dads. Like, yeah. I thought this podcast was supposed to mean something and going somewhere. We found a way to bring it all back. It always connects, dude. Yeah, everything yeah. connects to capitalism. It is, it is, that is, I mean, that's what it means to be a radical, right? Is that a radical recognizes the roots of a problem and mm. it rips them out by the fucking roots. Yeah. So, like, capitalism is at the fucking root of all these problems. And we're going we're gonna to dedicate a lot of time on this show to talking about all that shit. Right. Uh, but I mean, hopefully this was fun hearing all. I hope so. I think I think this is we all over the place, whatever. But like, I, I feel like a lot of, uh, some people can relate. And once again, we we gotta find some sort of like system so that you all can communicate with us and uh, let us know how you feel about yeah. these issues and whether you relate or not. Yeah. Well, I don't know comments or whatever. I don't, SoundCloud like. I guess we just need to get an Instagram page for this. Ah, oh, fuck. More so. And have another fucking algorithm based uh, thing to like control. Yeah. Right. I don't, not, the algorithm is also you know patriarchy what? and capitalism. We're not going to do that yet. <laughs> okay, no, no, fuck no, the Instagram. No, we're Sorry. not. We're not going to do that yet. If you really want to tell us something, just fucking like email one of us or like whatever. I don't, I don't give. I a mean, shit. It, whatever you send to me is getting sent straight to Brian. So I mean, it's, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. But we're not. No comments yet. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. No. no. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you can do it on SoundCloud. Go comment on SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, do you still talk to your dad? No, it's been like five or six years. I, I've honestly lost count. Yeah, I can't talk. I have, I have a younger brother and a younger sister who I've never even met. I have no Whoa. idea about her. If, if I'm 20 or if I'm 20, if I'm 35, my little brother is 14 and I haven't talked to him since he was like seven. Holy shit. Just because like in my head, I'm sure that my dad has told my brother that I've like died at this point. I'm like, <laughs> you know, there is no more brother Jerome. He's just like gone. Yeah. I, I wonder what the version of like me that my parents t- tell their friends and family is I don't really know me and my dad we talk but we we just keep it superficial mm-hmm. for the most part like and it's it's getting like I said it is getting increasingly harder right sure. because and I think I, I told my mom this but like uh how how, how am I supposed to talk about anything and like yeah. maybe I maybe look at this myself when they say you know everybody's saying check your parents like all that kind of shit maybe I do need to have an actual like sit down conversation with my father because like I really don't know how to relate to mm. any aspect of reality or like even in my own personal life like how do I go there right now living through coronavirus living through all this fucking shit and like talk mm. to him about what my plans are for like the future you know without inevitably leading to an argument and rolling his eyes about something not, or... even, not even that it's like it's like well maybe do you want to sell your house it's like yeah well you know as a as like a, a Marxist like I'm, I'm thinking like I don't know if the fucking housing market is going to be intact or if like the US dollar is still going to be worth the same or mm. if like the country is still going to be like standing and not engulfed in like some stupid like conflict somewhere like I don't know any of that shit but I know that it's possible because I know that the coronavirus is like out there fucking putting stress on all these systems mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. and that like people are getting really fucking fed up with that and their material conditions keep deteriorating and that's going to keep escalating things which we'll keep saying again and again on this fucking podcast as yeah. material conditions get worse these things are going to come more to the forefront mm-hmm. so like I don't know how to talk to like anything like that yeah. like can't even can't even say like 10 minutes more on any fucking topic at length without eventually connecting to some real world shit that 
he's just got a completely different reality than me. Right. And like, you know, that's something I got to work on, I guess. So maybe that's my challenge for myself at the end of this. Yeah. My challenge to myself is to just continue to not become my father and (laughs) to, to recognize all the, all the traits and more, more so, I guess now I'm just sort of like finding how much of my personality is like a defense mechanism (laughs) versus like how much of this is like the personality that I, I wanted for myself, you know, like, uh, so whatever we, we have lots more content for you folks. Yeah. And lots more work to do on ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. Uh, but yeah, we'll do daddy issues part two or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this has been another episode. Um, so I'm Brian. Uh, I'm Jerome. And uh, we'll see you. Goodbye. See you. Yeah,